Well, we've been uh, talking in this series called Leaving Neverland, but we're going to, before we jump into that, I want to discuss something um, that's uh, kind of a thing we've been working on for about four to five weeks in the staff here at Olive Branch and something we're opening the doors for you guys um, as the congregation and all of us together to be doing. And then um, the, the basis of this conversation exists from the fact that here at Olive Branch, we, we really for years have talked about the idea of uh, Olive Branch being um, not just, not just this place with lots and lots of people in it where you, you can be just a mile wide and an inch deep in the sense like a giant puddle ready to, to evaporate, but also not to be like a well, a small group of people who just who are really, really deep in Jesus, but instead to, to understand that we'd be like an ocean, deep and wide as a church with breadth and depth together and so that the youngest Christians can enter into the faith and people can explore Jesus and not drown. And, the, and yet those of you who are mature can never find the bottom. You can keep growing and keep developing and keep learning more and more about God. And to be honest, as Olive Branch, we have measured the, our, our breadth a lot about how many people are here in attendance, about how many guests we've had, how many salvations and baptisms, all that stuff. We've looked at all of that for many, many years, but we've always wrestled with how do you measure depth? How do you really measure where we are as a church spiritually um, and our spiritual maturity, and our spiritual development. And so as we've been kind of wrestling through our process of how to grow and, and equip you guys better, knowing that in Ephesians chapter 4, it's our job as the pastors and, and the staff members to equip you, the saints, to do the work of ministry and to develop spiritually, we're asking, well, how are we doing? How do we do this better? And so as we started um, looking at it, Justin, our, our discipleship pastor, came across this Reveal Spiritual Life Survey. And the Reveal Survey is something that has been done by hundreds of thousands of people over all kinds of different states and thousands of different churches. And so it's a pretty robust study that we're kind of entering into. And what it's going to enable us to do is kind of measure things like where, how, how we feel the church is doing at your spiritual development, where our beliefs are at, how you're doing in your own spiritual uh, growth and application of life. And so all of this kind of comes together to give us some indicators on where we're kind of needing to shore things up or where we're doing well. And so as we kind of set forward from here, we can truly say we are helping you guys develop in your spiritual lives as best as we possibly can. So we don't want to be guessing. And so what we're doing is we're opening the survey up for all of us in the congregation to take. We, are, we insist that everybody, please, please take this. It's about a 10 to 15, maybe 20 minute kind of survey. And what you're, what you're going to be doing is answering some questions about the church, about your own spiritual life and things like that. So We've sent out an email with the link so that you guys can click on that and join with us. If you don't have the availability, like on a phone, to do that or a computer, we actually have an entire booth set up outside that after service you can go there, take the survey right after church, get it done. And this helps us for a couple of reasons. One, to measure this distance. Two, to know what we're going to do next. Now, a couple of side notes because I know some of us are thinking, well, I'm going to take this. I don't want them to know where I'm at. We do not get anybody's individualized results. So when you take this, it's not going to send us your name and how you're doing. So I don't have to come to your house and go, hey, what you dissing the senior pastor for? You know, that's not, that's not going to work. So you can feel it and you can feel free to do that. But also at the same time, while it gives you a mirror as you're doing it, it's not going to give you an individualized result for yourself either. So you're not going to get some email to you telling you how you've done. It's going to come as an aggregate. We're going to be working on some tools to help us see where we're at so we can kind of grow and move forward and develop as a church into spiritual maturity. And so this means that no matter where you're at, we are asking whether you just started coming to the church only a couple months ago and you're a brand new Christian or, you, or you're not even a Christian yet. You're 
you're just exploring the faith or whether you've been a Christian forever and you've been at this church since it was started, we would love everybody, no matter where you're at, to take this survey. Don't exclude yourself because this enables us to get a full picture. The more people who get involved, the clearer a picture we have. Now, I want you guys to think of it this way. It's about a 10 to 20 minute investment of your life. Yeah, it's a little bit of time. But what you're doing is actually investing not just in your own spiritual walk, but you're investing in each other's. You're enabling everybody here to be able to have a better, the better opportunity to grow and develop spiritually. And so we want to encourage you guys, please, please take this. Now you can take it on your phone. You can take it on a computer. You can take it here at the church between services. We've given you um, an email. If you're interested, you can download our app and it's right there. You can click on the app and it's, it's got its own line. It'll send you the link and it'll send you out to the web. And so it's, we've tried to make it as easy as possible because we need as many people, if not, we really would love everybody to take it as many people as possible. And so would you please do that for me? Can I get a verbal yes from you guys? Can, would you do that for me? Awesome. I think this is going to be huge for our church. So thank you for that. Let's go ahead. We'll, we'll remind you guys in the next couple of weeks, but let's go ahead and pray as we get into the message. Would you please join with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us a chance to examine where we are spiritually. Father, you, you give us great opportunities to bring the gospel to those who, who don't know you. And now you're going to give us even more opportunities to continue to develop. God, as we get into your word, thank you that your spirit dwells with us. Thank you that you are teaching us by your word. And whatever is just not of you, would you just let it be forgotten today? But whatever is of you, whatever is necessary for our lives and that you have for us today, would you just seal it into our hearts and enable us to act upon it this week? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're talking about Neverland in this last week of this conversation, we really want to focus in on the process of growth, on the idea of what it looks like, of where we're going. And for me, I think about the movie Peter Pan from the Disney version, probably some, of your, some people's favorite version of, uh, of it. It had a song in it. Anybody remember Following the Leader? I'm following the leader, the leader, the leader. I'm following the leader wherever he will. You know that song? Now that I stopped it early, it'll be in your head all day long, right? So this idea of following the leader, though, it was a game. Anybody play the game in elementary school, follow the leader? And you had to like have one person in a long line and whatever they did, you did. Uh, sort of like a glorified conga line at school. And I hated that game. Maybe because I always wanted to be the leader and I never was. Or maybe because I just thought it was dumb that I had to do something somebody else was doing as I'm walking along. But following the leader was a subliminal message from our teachers. Okay, It was telling you whatever the teacher does, you need to do that. That's what it was all about. I was trying to train children to go, oh, I'm supposed to listen to the leader. I got it. Now, those of you who are like, I want my kids to be a leader. You'll follow nobody. That's different. But what I want you to understand is that growing up and, and becoming mature involves copying somebody. It involves following a leader. Isn't it true? Don't you want your children to copy the best things in your life, the things that you're telling them to do, where you're leading them to? Isn't it that we want our children to grow up and become mature because they're living out what a mature adult looks like and you're doing that in your home? The only problem is that our children don't do that, do they? Okay, I'll use my bad illustration then. So in the car one day we were driving, I don't remember quite where, but me and my wife and my four kids in behind me and my my not my youngest son, but my, my second youngest son, he was, um, he was talking and he was always a big talker. I believe he's about five at this point or maybe even four. And as he, we're sitting there driving, we're talking about something and he goes, well, that's just crap. And I'm like, 
Teresa, did you just hear what I heard? And she's like giggling, right? Because it sounds funny, but we're like, that is so bad. She's like, you don't say that word. That's a bad word. Where did you hear that word? Well, you say it all the time. And then we're like, oh. Because that's what really happens in our homes, right? Your children copy the good, but they also copy the bad. Oftentimes we get the most upset, frustrated, and angry about, and our children and our grandchildren is the things that we're upset about in our own lives. Isn't that true? You see your kids yelling and screaming and fighting at each other and you just walked out of a situation where you're doing the same thing. You come inside that home, you're like, you guys shouldn't yell and scream at each other like I'm doing to you right now. You know, it's just, that's not how it's supposed to be. Your kids mimic, if you see your kid being lazy and you feel like you're lazy, you're like, stop being lazy. It just drives you crazy when they're acting in the worst way that you act. Copying is a constant thing that we're always doing. In fact, if we're not careful, we'll end up copying the culture, copying its ways, copying what it examples to us. Because often what you put into your life is what's going to come out of your life. And as you're imbibing movies and as you're imbibing media and as you're imbibing and drinking full of the world around you, you'll find yourself beginning to copy those things that are around you. And so what, what Jesus is going to do, what Paul is going to argue is actually, no, guys, we need to different, copy something differently. And as we've been looking in the book of Colossians, checking out this concept of leaving Neverland, we understand that to leave Neverland, there's a few things that we got to do. One, we got to identify that we're in there. And that's what we did the first week. If you weren't with us, you can check out the podcast and go through through this, but we found out where we were. Are we spiritually immature and therefore susceptible to having a mixed faith, a faith that is mixed up with not, not just Christian ideas, but other ideas mixed in and that we need to get out of Neverland. So we saw that the first way to get out is to stop forgetting the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel gives you these promises and changes lives and it gives you a hope and that hope gives you a faith and a love. And in that you become mature, it bears a character in you. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what Paul's been telling the Colossians in this book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this text and we're going to see what Paul now has said. I want, this is what I want you to remember. Now this is what I hope you will become. And so as you turn and open your Bibles there, it's in, again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. There are Bibles under the seats if you, if you didn't bring one today. You can grab one and you'll use the same version I'm using. You'll find on page 983 in the Bibles under your seats. And so as we look at this, or you look at it in your version or on your app or whatever you're looking at, we're going to see Paul wants to focus in for this young eight-year-old church that is struggling with maturity. Hey guys, this is what I want for you. This is where I want you to go. And it begins here in verse nine. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, we're going to pause right there because what we're going to see is what Paul is saying is there's one thing I want for you guys. I want you to grow up. I want you to be mature. I want you to look like Christ. And so what I'm going to say is leaving Neverland is going to look like growing up to copy Christ. It looks like growing up to look like him. And that's actually found here in verse 10. There's a, if there's anything you're going to underline in your Bibles, just underline verse 10. It's the centerpiece. It's the section of this section. It is saying, this is what Paul's aim is at. Notice how it begins. Back up at verse nine again. He says, 
And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why do I need to be filled with this stuff? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, always or fully pleasing to him. And this is what he's saying. I want you to be full of this stuff so that you will be mature. And maturity looks like these two things, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and being pleasing. This word worthy is an interesting word. It's, it actually shows up a lot in Paul's letters. He says, I want you to be worthy of the gospel. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you receive, a manner worthy of the Lord. He's kind of talking about this idea of living out a life that is worthy. Worth was understood in their day in a different way. It actually means to equate value the same. So imagine you have great scales here. And on one side, you'd put the amount of grain that you were going to buy from a local merchant. On the other side, he would put an amount, a set of weights. And those weights would equate to how much money that grain cost. And so when you had something that was worthy, when the weights were worthy, they had integrity. They would match. And you're, what's, so what's going on is the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us is put on one side and he's saying, I want your life to balance out the scale. I want it to match. I want it to copy. It should be equal to what Christ has done for you. And right there, I think if anybody was honest, you're swallowing hard. That's like, wow, Greg, how in the world am I supposed to do that? How in the world am I supposed to live a life worthy of Christ? That seems impossible. And yet what I want to remind us is that it's over here that I'm talking about. This is what Paul desires for the Colossians. This is what the Paul desires for the church. This is what I long for for us. I want to see us walking worthy of the gospel, living a life where you are here matching a life with Christ. Now that is the aim. That is the goal. And some of you, you're, you're the kind of person you're going to beat yourself up because you can't hit that goal. You keep going, I'm never going to attain that. Uh, there's just no way. That's just too hard. And you're going to want to give up. Don't do that because I want to break it down for you. Another way that Paul defines maturity here is not just being worthy. That's the end goal. That's what it looks like in the end. But he also says it's pleasing to the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. All bringing him all pleasure. What I want you guys to do is let's, let's focus on that one. Because Jesus, interestingly, when he was baptized, God called him his pleased one. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And here's the beauty. When you and I die in Christ, when we come and give our lives away and, and we say, Jesus has borne my sins and he's risen from the dead and I'm confident that I'm alive in him. The Bible says you are in Christ. That means God is fully pleased with you right now. Can you just take a big, deep breath right there? He is fully pleased with you. Wow. Because you sit in Christ. Because he's pleased with what Christ did. He's pleased with you. Because when he sees you, he sees Christ if you've received him. Now, what we do from there is called worship. And so all the things that I say from this point on, I want you to hear it in the tune of worship. That you've received this gift that you've been forgiven. You are in the kingdom of God. You've been set free from there. You are going to live in worship. And I want to define then a mature life in Christ with a simple question. And that is, God, because of all that you've given me, because of all that you've done for me, how can I please you now? Think about that question for a minute. Isn't that the heartbeat of a mature person? Shouldn't that be the heartbeat of the spiritually mature to say, God, how can I please you right now? If Jesus was always pleasing to the Father, then he is the one who is constantly saying in his heart, God, how can I please you right now? God, how can I please you right now? 
And he was doing that very thing constantly over and over. And so in our hearts, to be mature, to get out of Neverland, I think as we start to develop in this process with hope and endurance, we ask this question, God, how can I please you now? Because let's face it, immaturity asks the opposite question, doesn't it? How can I please myself now? Think about it. A baby is born naturally thinking about its own needs. A baby is born immature. That's okay. Babies are supposed to be immature. Children are supposed to be growing in maturity. They're going to be immature. And so as they think about life, they're going, what do I, I want this now. In fact, children will say, I want this now. They'll say that sentence. And then when you don't give it to them, what do they do? They throw royal fits in some cases. Man, I know some adults that are like that still. And that's immaturity. It's the mature person who puts their own desires aside and begins to ask the question, what can I do to help somebody else? What can I do to love another person? And we all know that ultimately we've been made in the image of God. And so to become totally mature spiritually and yes, as a human being in the United States today in Corona, the greatest way you can do that is by asking the question, God, what can I do to please you now? And then do it. Jesus was the most mature human being that ever existed. See, the answer to the Peter Pan syndrome in psychology, the answer to the Peter Pan syndrome that pervades the world of this, lack, this extended adolescence is to rid ourselves of that question, what can I do to make me happy? And turn it around to, hey, God, what can I do to make you happy? And now he says, I want you to care about people, to love your neighbors, yourself, to love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Get out there and be a self-sacrificing person and you will become a mature person. You'll become a hard worker. You'll become somebody who is thinking diligently about their life because you're not out to please yourself. You're not out to gain your own riches. You're not out to do great things for you. You're out to please God who is already pleased with you. It's as if you're celebrating this great thing God has given you. What an incredible opportunity we have. And I think that simple question can quickly move you to the direction of living a life that is worthy, that is copying Christ. In essence, it's very simple. We're just saying, Jesus, how can I follow you? I want to follow the leader. I want to copy you. And so to copy Christ then, and to answer this question, God, I want to, how can I please you now? We, we need to know God's will and do it. Look, look, look at the verses again in verse 9. Look down here. And so he says, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled means filled to the top, to the brim. There's no more room. But why do you need to know God's will? Well, if you're going to ask this question, God, how can I please you now? Then we need to know how to answer the question. You need to know what God's will is, what his answer is. And so lots of us are stuck in this. We're going like, God, I need to know what your will is for my life. Now, if you mean individually for yourself, that's a longer conversation. And we can talk about that at another time. We've done that at a series called Intersections years ago. But right now, what I want you to do is realize that God's will is already given to us. It, it, he has two ways that we can think about this. First of all, God has his will for us in the way that he longs for us to behave. Isn't that true? What do we think that the Ten Commandments, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. These are ways that God wills for us to live. 
He wants you to worship him and no other God. That's his will. He wants you to not kill somebody or hate people or have this deep-seated anger and bitterness. No, he wants you to forgive. That's his will. He, he doesn't want you to cheat on, in your marriages. He wants you to be faithful and in that sexually chaste because that's his longing for you to have the best life. That's his longing for you. That's how he's designed us. That's his will. And so God's will is designed in behavior. And it's, and it's also designed in this sense that he has a will, not just for us as people, but for everything. He has a, he has a desire for the whole universe. He made it all. He didn't just make people. He made a, an astronomically large universe with lots of stuff in it. And he has a will for it all. In fact, that will is seen from the, from the time of creation and Adam and Eve all the way from Christ to when Christ returns in the end of the world, that his goal has a redemptive goal. He is out to redeem all things. He is ready to turn everything back to himself. God is not up there alone. He is down here working amongst us to call human beings away from hell, to call all of our culture to center as worship, to call all of this creation back into redemption. God is not just about saving a few people. He's about shift in the entire program that exists back onto the page he intended it. That's his will. And we get to be a part of that. And so when you ask the question, God, how can I please you now? It's really important then that we understand this will and know where to find it. Because it's, it's incumbent upon us to be people who are then students of his will. And guess what? His will is found in one location, right? It's found right here in the word of God. Where else do you find the behaviors that God desires for us? And, and where else do you find what God's plan is for all things, except they're loaded down in the pages of the word. And that he calls us to be somebody who is allowing this to shape us. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape you. Don't go copying it, but be transformed, be shaped, be, co be, be a copy by the renewal of your mind. Let the word of God shift and change you. Let it be transforming, renewing you. And then don't just leave it there. Don't just be a student, be a doer. See, he goes on, he says, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Hey, you can see it in the word. You can know it in your head. But until you've asked the question, God, what, do you, what can I do to please you? And then actually do it. You don't really know if it's God's will. You have to test it. You have to step out in it, which means, guess what? You're going to fail and so am I. Can I just tell you something? God's grace covers your failures when you're trying to please him. Just take a deep breath. He even covers your failures when you're rebelling against him, if you're his child. You see, there are going to be times where you're standing there and you go like, God, what do you want me to do that's pleasing to you now? And he's going to say, I want you to go talk to that person. You say, wow, it's time for lunch. And you're going to go the opposite way. Now he'll discipline you. When we disobey him intentionally, he will bring his discipline if you're his children. But his grace will cover it. God is willing that we, if we are willing to step out and try and make a blunder, step in and, and mess up in our conversations, step in when we're trying to please God, his grace is sufficient. This isn't about pleasing him to get grace. His grace is there. This is about worshiping him. Why not then do the things he's called us that would please him? And so there's this shift that's gone on in our hearts and we have to have action. Faith requires action. Faith is not something you just have. It requires movement. It requires motion. And so we need to be not just be students of the word. We need to be doers. But guys, 
Are we even students of the word anymore? Is the real question. In my times of fasting, one of the weird things that'll come into my mind it, it, that has happened is you wind up in the first day, you skip a meal and you're like, you're, you're hungry, right? And you're like, oh, if you've ever fasted, you get this. You're like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. And then you skip two meals and your body's like, no, you're hungry. Don't you understand? You're hungry. You, by the time you skip three meals, I think it's the weirdest thing in the world. Your body is screaming at you for food. Just three meals. One day, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. This is ridiculous. And it gets so weird. By the end of the second day, you're taking the trash out and you're smelling like, wow, I kind of smell something good in there. <laughs> you're hypersensitive. Your nose is smelling stuff that you didn't realize. I was like driving by Tom's Farms going, I smell the pizza from there. Wow, this is crazy. Like, oh, Carl's Jr. It's like I could indicate everywhere I was coming up on because you just are hyper with, with your sense of body screaming at you. You need this food. Take it now. I mean, there were knee jerk reactions. I was walking by like chips on a table. I'm like, stop. <laughs> if that's how my body reacts when I need food and Jesus said, you do not live on bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, what is our souls really like? when we skip even a day without the word of God. Your soul is screaming at you for food. Your soul is begging for some nourishment. It's no wonder we make the blunders and we cuss and we do the things that we do or we get angry when we do and we lack the patience that we have. Your soul is longing for nourishment. Your soul is longing for help and we need it because you guys, we got to do this. We got to know what his will is and do it. And that's where we go to next. We need to, we need to do it because it'll bear fruit. Now, actually I skipped forward, but I want you to hear this. This bearing fruit will come out because we're doing it. And this bearing fruit will come out everywhere. You see what you and I need to do is we need to know that God's will can be done anywhere and everywhere. You can bear fruit in everywhere that you go. Let me explain. Notice again, go back up to verse nine. He says, we are going to have this knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is spiritual wisdom and understanding? It's the doing part. See, when you're at work and you ask God, God, what can I do to please you now? And you step out into that at work, you're going, can I really do this? Yes, you can. Suddenly you find that you're going to have an encounter and talk to that person or you're going to pray with that coworker or you're just going to go shred documents for somebody because you have the time and you can help them out. You're going to finally suddenly find a way that you can serve and sacrifice for another person at your home and, and your other people. I mean, in traffic, you can even ask that question. Hey God, what can I do right now to please you? Because there, for a Christian, let me just say this clearly, there is no secular and sacred divide. You understand that? There's no such thing as secular for you. Everything is sacred because everywhere that you go, the spirit of God resides with you. So that when you're in that board meeting, which makes you bored, that's why they named it that. <laughs> the spirit of God is present with you and he can show you something that you can indeed do to please him there in that room. It may be finding a way to encourage the guy who's making that awful presentation. It may be a way to serve, get up and get waters for everybody. It may be simply a way that you're just saying, I'm going to focus a little bit better so I can do my job better. It may be praying for this situation that it would end because it would be a grace upon everyone. Whatever it is, God has something that can happen for you 
So you can please him. You know his will. You're a student of it and you live it out. But it requires wisdom. It requires skill. It requires insight, understanding. Because in some cases, you don't know what to do. There are tricky ethical settings that you won't know how to go through to bear fruit in. How do I apply God's word in a, in a setup in which suddenly I find myself stuck between having to lie to my boss about something or, my, or, or care about my friend? What do I do? God, what do I do to please you here? Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus knew how, to, how in those trapped situations to go straight at the heart. He had wisdom from the word of God because he knew it and he was the word. And he was able to apply it exactly in those moments. Guys, that's what we get to do. We can live and be students. You'll have better insight on how to handle these situations and actually get to the heart of the problems. Where you'd say something like, you know, I would love to answer that question, but I think it'd be better if my friend did. Well, what's going on? There's ways that you can then be able to step forward with truth and grace and you don't have to cover it because you can't, whatever, but God will lead you. And guess what? There is no better frame for the ethical conversation than the word of God. I had a great conversation of several months ago, me and Stephen, you met Stephen, he's preached up here. We were sitting down on a panel where him and I and three atheists were having conversations actually out on YouTube. If you want to watch it, it's about an hour and a half, two hour conversation, but fun conversation all about ethics. And it came down to, as we were talking to each other, I, I just was curious. I was like, guys, you, their, their only solution was science has shown us that these are the ways. We've hurt people enough in these forms that we shouldn't do these things. And we can scientifically prove it harms people. I'm like, you get to have science to prove something harms somebody? And, and suddenly it, it lands on that science shows us these, this is right and this is wrong. And I was like, but what happens when science changes? Oh, then the morality will change. I said, so what do you teach your children when you go home? Well, we don't know about that one, son. I haven't read a study on that yet. See, when you have only science, what they did is they made this big leap. And they said, well, morals exist out there somewhere scientifically, though we can't measure it. This is what it is. And, and they have like this leap of faith. Guys, we don't need a leap of faith. We got a God who gave you the word of God. And every single moral thing that they said was right was just hijacked from our faith. It had been born in them through generations of living in a Christian culture. And so what we see is there is no frame apart from the word of God that will give you and I what we need in order to answer these questions of how to please God and how to be mature in this world. That's, I think, what is behind a lot of our lack of maturity in our culture. And so when we dive in, we ask this question, what inevitably will occur is you will bear fruit. Look what it says down here, verse 10. So as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Yeah, we're supposed to do good works. Again, coming from our salvation, not to gain our salvation. And so these good works are interesting. They're called fruit. Funny thing, um, we have an apple tree in my backyard. And the reason I know it's an apple tree is it bore apples. Pretty cool. Because it came from an apple seed. Hmm. Do you know when an apple seed grows up to an apple tree, it bears fruit that I can get a seed from to form another apple tree? That's amazing. Do you know when I, we got a couple of dogs in our house and I found out something, their parents were both dogs. Whoa. <laughs> this is crazy. I found out my parents were humans. In fact, they were mature humans because I found out something. Those people that are mature can reproduce. Those trees that are mature, they reproduce. They bear fruit. 
I'm being obviously facetious, but guess what? Mature Christians bear fruit. When you are pleasing Christ, you'll bear fruit. And there's a couple of fruits you're going to bear. First of all, you're going to reproduce. When's the last time you saw somebody because of your life, because of your testimony, become a Christian and a disciple, a follower of Christ? When you're mature, you have the capacity and the ability to reproduce, to bear fruit. And that's one of the ways you do that because Christ in his ministry produced disciples. He bore fruit. He bore little Christs. They were called Christians, which meant little Christs. And guess what happens when your little Christ grows up, he becomes like a big Christ. See, when you're a follower of Christ, you will grow up to bear the marks of Jesus on your life that's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's the mature characteristics of Christ. In fact, in the book of Galatians chapter 5 where that fruit is found, in my argument, in my thesis, as my master's thesis, this is very clear. It is the characteristics of Jesus Christ. He is the loving one, the joyful one, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, self-control. All that is the character of Christ and it's coming through you and me. If you want to bear fruit, you will bear fruit because you are becoming like Christ. Because when you say, God, what can I do to please you now in traffic? He says, just be patient. Be kind. Let that guy in. Ah, be self-controlled. Call that friend and pray for them. So you're not thinking about you. You're thinking about somebody else. And suddenly you use traffic as a time where God is being pleased in your life. And you're not sitting there going, I hate this thing, you know? Because we can ask that question in any setting. There's nothing that is secular. It's all sacred. And suddenly you're bearing fruit. You're bearing the fruit of character. You're bearing the fruit of producing disciples. Because when he says, I want you to talk to that person, you go, well, that's about his big giant mission. He knows what he's doing. And you go and do it. And suddenly, maybe that person becomes a Christian. Maybe you're one, draw, one chain and a link that leads that person to Christ because they've been meeting person after person after person who knows Jesus and it's moving them forward, which happened to so many of us, didn't it? And so what we see here is that we can produce fruit. And this is because your soil is good. In Matthew chapter 12 or 13, verses 22 through 23, Jesus is explaining this parable of four soils. Some that fell on a road that didn't produce anything, didn't even grow. Some that fell in this rocky soil that grew quick and died. Then stuff in thorny soil that never produced any fruit. And the last stuff was on the good soil. And he explains the last two. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. So here's the difference. Those who are caring about the world and so focused on the things of life, who are asking the question, God, what can I do to help me? You will never produce fruit. You're not going to grow up. You're going to remain immature. But those of us who are focused on his word, focused on his will, focused on his desires, God, what can I do to please you now? You end up bearing much fruit. Indeed, he bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, another 30. Because this simple question constantly tills the soil of your heart up to be open and ready for God to lead you by his word to his works. And when you do that, he works through you and you bear fruit. But secondly, you do something more. You get to know God even more. Notice what it says here in verse 11 or verse 10 at the end. It says, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Did you realize you will never stop increasing in your knowledge of God? God is an infinite being. You will never plumb the depths of his creativity. You will never get to the end of his knowledge. 
You will never find the, intim- the ultimate intimacy of God's love. Oh, we will get to portions of it and we will enjoy pieces of it and it will be so overwhelmingly satisfying, but it will never, ever stop. What an incredible thing that no matter how great and glorious our technology gets, how amazing our science becomes, how beautiful our songs are created in all of the art and the beauty of this world, you will never, ever end up at the end of God's knowledge and that he set this up and that he made us to know him. Guys, you'll always continue to grow in that knowledge. And the way that you get to know him even more and more is by asking that question, God, what can I do to please you today? It leads you back to the word. So you're a student of the word. And then when you do it, you do something greater. You don't just become a big head of of information about God. You see him work through you. You bear fruit and suddenly you know God even more. It's easily illustrated in your marriages or with your children or in your relationships with your friends. Try it sometimes. Ask them this question. Hey, what could I do today that would make you happy? What would I do today that would please you? If you were to ask your spouse that every day, it would transform your marriage, guaranteed. I'm not talking about people pleasing, where they're like, you need to do that. Okay, I'll do that. I will, I will put up a fight. That's, that's not good for you. I'm talking about being intentional to say, hey, what can I do to please you today? You, you might be amazed. Your husband might look at you and say, you know what? I'm going to hang out with my friends. I want you to come with me. I, I thought this was guide time. I didn't know you wanted me to come. You used to come with me all the time when we were dating. I love that about you. Why don't you do that anymore? She may say to you, I just want you to set up a date and I don't have to want to worry about it. Finding the, the place to eat and where the kids are going to go. Would you do that all for me and just take me out? Any ladies saying amen on that one? So, <laughs> And, and, and we, we, you used to do that all the time when we were dating. You'd be surprised what you begin to learn and discover that you never knew about your spouse. You'd be surprised and discover what you never knew about your children, about your friends. Yeah, you can ask that of your friends. It's not weird to go, hey, we're friends. You know, what could I do today that could help you out, that would make you happy? And they may just say, just hang out with me, man. Let's just hang out for a couple hours and talk. We don't need to do anything. You'd be blown away by what is answered and how you get to know people. This question is, is, is helpful because as we ask it, God reveals things to us. We do it and we see it's him and we grow in our knowledge of God. God, how can I please you now? Well, all of this leads to us copying Christ, but this is a journey. This is difficult. And so it's going to require endurance to grow. So it's no wonder Paul moves on in verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He says, here's what I need you guys to do. I I need you guys to have strength in this. I need you guys to have endurance because you're going to need it. Let's face it. You ask that question, God, what can I do to please you right now? And he's going to say this. You're going to get to the place where you're going to get to know this faster. There's going to be multiple options that you can choose from. And you're going to choose one. And inside of you is going to be this thing called your flesh. And it's going to go, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather go eat a donut or whatever. I'd rather just go home and take a nap. There's also the enemy. I mean, how many times have you sat down and started reading the Bible and you got to one sentence and you're like reading it and you're like, oh, wow, that's so convicting. You know, I probably should go do that now and and stop reading the Bible. 
Or how many of you sat down to prayer and you start praying about your day and you're like, God, just help me productive in this meeting. Help me love my wife better. And that voice suddenly shows up. Well, you can love your wife now. Why are you praying about this? Just get up and go do what you can do. You don't have to pray about it. And you stop praying. You get up and you go do it, but you never finished praying. You never went back. Do you ever think that was your flesh and the enemy trying to distract you from what is actually more important at the moment? That oftentimes what is difficult about this is trying to obey God. It can be so hard because there's so many forces pushing you against it. You need endurance. You need strength. But you're not alone. The spirit of God is with you. And do you know what he supplies you? He supplies you infinite power. God's power never ends. Notice he says, I want you to have the strength for with all power, according to his glorious might, his glorious strength. And you need this for all this endurance. And you need this for patience. And all of God's children said, amen. Because patience is rough. Patience is the long haul of life. It's like parenting kids through the teenage phase and on. It's a parenting young adults. It takes patience. It's never over. And all the grandparents said, amen, you know. And, and it takes endurance. One of the things I was talking to my, my brother-in-law about is, is when our children are just like, they're, they're hitting that puberty phase and their emotions are like all over the map. And you're like, what do you do? I, I just came to me, I'm like, you got to learn how to be a really good surfer. <laughs> that when that emotion comes in this giant wave, you got to get on the wave and ride it without ever being swallowed by the emotion and replicating it. If it swallows you up and tumbles you over and you're, ah, you're screaming back at this kid who's just like, because they don't know what's going on. <laughs> you're not helping. You're going, God, show me what I can do to please you right now because I really want to kill him. You know, that's not a good idea. <laughs> you got to go over the long haul, the long journey, the long patience, that time. And, and what you need then is just something to help you out. That's why I think it's so weird that Paul puts this word after he says, for all endurance and patience with what? Joy? Patience and joy do not go together in my book. I'm sorry. Anybody else here? I'm so happy I got to be patient. No, I'm the guy who prays like that old saint, God, give me patience and give it to me now. Now, joy is powerful though. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah chapter eight, it's an interesting verse. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your fortress. And what it's referencing here is the joy of God's promises, the joy of his word. This is your strength. This will keep you up. Don't weep and mourn because you just heard the Bible and it's convicted you. No, rejoice because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy that is found in God is your strength. No wonder he goes on. He says, you need patience. You need endurance. Here's what you need. Remember your hope. He says, you're going to have this joy giving thanks to the father. Why should you give thanks to the father? Guys, because he's given you tons. You know what you just went through in worship a few minutes ago? It was your opportunity to fill up with joy. Next week, before you come, write this down somewhere. Remind yourself, I need to list out the blessings God has given me so that when I come in here, I'm ready to rejoice. Because he's given me so much, why can't I just let out some joy? Even though I'm going through the trial. Even though I've lost someone I love. Even though I'm sick and dying. It is God's joy that gives you strength in that moment to continue to ask God, what can I do to please you now? 
because of all you've done. This joy is central to our strength with endurance and patience. And so he says, give thanks to the Father because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. I need to get into that. We went into that last week. All the promises that are delivered to you from the gospel, you have as an inheritance. What's an inheritance? It's something that's waiting for you. It's guaranteed yours. And it's beautiful and it's huge and it's eternal. And that's something to be excited and joyful about. And he goes on to say, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. The enemy can't do anything to you anymore. He can tempt you. And yes, you will be tempted and you will sin. You know what happens next? God forgives you. Praise Jesus. Amen. This doesn't make you go to hell. No. It means you go, God, I'm alive. I love your grace. And he goes, no, the enemy hates it. So you know what he'll do? He'll kill you. And you know what he doesn't want to kill you? Because then he just releases you into eternity of all the things that you've always longed for. What can he do? You've been removed from the domain of darkness. He does not touch you. His lies will be gone. You're set free into the son's kingdom is what he says. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have been redeemed. We have redemption, which means we've been bought back from hell. We've been bought back. We are now his. And it can no longer be owned. And he has forgiven us of our sins. Guys, there is so much that you and I can be joyful for. And when we have that joy over all that God has given us, over the power of this gospel, it gives you a faith to endure. And you can continue to ask that question, God, what can I do to please you now? And when you step out and you continue to endure, it will shape a character in you. And that character will give you a new hope. And that hope will grow into a new faith. As you grow in that hope, you get excited about eternity. It erupts in a joy and a faith. And you go, God, what can I do to please you now? And you do it. And then you endure and you grow character and the whole cycle goes again. This simple question is the heartbeat of the Christian life. God, how can I please you now from all that you've given to me? And I want to encourage you to go from here this morning, write it down somewhere, put it on a card, put it in front of you in your dashboard, put it somewhere in the church or in your house or with the earthquake. Wow, that's interesting. I just want you guys to take an opportunity right now. Write it somewhere down, that simple question. On a bulletin, on a piece of paper, steal something from the chairs, but put it there and take it with you. And don't forget that this heartbeat will shape us as we live a life that will be a copy worthy of our Lord. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Oh, Father, how much more can we not praise you? Can we not thank you for the things that you've given to us? You've given us life everlasting. You've covered us with joy that is unspeakable because the promises of yours are so true. And then you've given us an opportunity to please you and, and an opportunity we can't fail because everything that you give us, everything that we do, God, if it's a mess, you cover it and you work it to the good. And if it's worthy of you, you use it for your glory. And God, we just get to be a part of that. Help us to have that heartbeat this week. Help us to continually walk in a way of asking God, how can we please you? And so we just surrender ourselves to you now. God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.